It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey y'all, you're listening to episode 55 of Eco Chic, a podcast all about practical science and sustainability. My name is Laura Diaz. Welcome back. I am so happy to have you again. I know I'm always excited for something at the top of the episode, but I'm extremely excited because this week is the one year birthday of Eco Chic. It has been one whole year since this podcast launched, and I am so, so thankful for everyone listening and supporting and just giving me feedback every week and sharing with your friends and family. And I am so thankful, honestly, to just like have this community and serve as a resource and really be there for all y'all in your sustainability journeys. I'm excited to just be joined every week by such interesting people, whether I am talking to y'all, answering your questions, or just having really great conversations. This last year has truly been incredible, and I am so thankful to just grow and learn and continue to just thrive with everybody. So with that, thank you guys so, so much for one whole year, and I hope to have many, many more. Seriously, it's like all uphill from here, and I'm so excited to be doing this with you guys. Today's episode was so interesting for me to sit down and record. I had the opportunity to sit with Megan Hosterman, the executive director of the Diablo Trust, which is a collaborative group working towards better ranching practices in Northern Arizona. So I am excited to have this conversation because we are talking about beef today. We're talking about animal agriculture. And the reason I really wanted to have this conversation was that our whole shtick on this podcast is practical science and sustainability. And a lot of the time it's preached that in order to be a great environmentalist, you should give up beef. That's the easiest number one thing that you can do. And honestly, I am one of those people. I love to advocate for just one thing that you can cut out is beef if you're looking at your environmental footprint. And you know what? At the end of the day, that doesn't work for everyone. If you don't want to give up beef, I'm not here to tell you like it's a ride or die situation. So let's just think a little bit deeper about this. How can we talk about beef in a more eco-friendly, eco-conscious way? How can we talk about animal agriculture that is actually working in conjunction with better natural practices? So I'm really interested in opening up this conversation and really diving deep into animal agriculture with Megan today. One big thing that I want to point out is that animal agriculture is something interesting to learn about, not just for me, but hopefully for all y'all, because it's something that usually we are pretty disconnected from. We think about animal products in our everyday life, but you probably don't know where they're coming from and how they're getting to you and how these animals are being raised on a day-to-day basis. And that's just an issue of cognitive dissonance that's super common in our society. I'll be upfront. I grew up in Miami. I didn't know anything, anything at all about where my food came from or who was growing my animal products or whatever it may be 
until I really moved out to Northern Arizona and I saw ranching and cattle firsthand and it's everywhere around me. And that's what a lot of the West is like in America. So I think this is an interesting conversation to have because animal products are in everybody's everyday life. Even if you are vegan, you are at some point vaguely aware of animal products or interacting with them in some way. So I think it's important for us to just talk about this on a more personal day-to-day level. It's really interesting for me to be educated on something that is so intricate in all of our lives. Again, animal products, but we don't always know where it comes from or how it gets to us. So I want to talk a little bit about beef today. So the Diablo Trust manages a crazy amount of land. It is about half a million acres. And when I said that it was a collaborative group, the Diablo Trust brings together advocacy groups and government agencies, and then also multiple generations of ranchers who are working this land and working with these cattle and raising these animal products. So I think it's really important for us to think about how multiple groups in society are going to be working together towards a better, more natural system. Everyone has a common goal of treating our land really well. So something that I do want to talk about before we get too deep into the conversation with Megan is just kind of setting the scene a little bit. We're going to talk about some basic concerns of beef. A statistic that I love to always throw out is that they say on average, one pound of beef requires the amount of water of your 10 minute showers for six months. So six months worth of showers for one package of beef, essentially a one pound package. So that's a really, really wild statistic and it always kind of throws people on their sides when I throw it out there. But I would love to counter that a little bit with something that Megan actually taught me, which was so enlightening. And when they say that average statistic of one pound of beef is six months worth of shower water, It is traditional, conventional, just ranching where cattle are grazing on the same land over and over for years and years. So something that is coming up in ranching, a new sort of animal agriculture trend, is something called high-intensity rotational grazing. So this is actually a more efficient way to use your water. Essentially, you have a pasture that's shaped like a pie. So let's think of a circular pasture that's cut into pie slices, and then you move your cows around to each slice of the pie. So there's more grass and more native species that are actually being cultivated because this land has a longer period to regenerate. And I think that was a really interesting thing that Megan introduced to me because, again, I don't really know a whole lot about agriculture. And I think that was just an interesting way that we could talk about how we can use some practices and methods that are more supportive of natural features in our environment. So we also talk a little bit about carbon sequestration. Sequestration essentially just means that carbon is being held in the earth. It's not immediately emitted to the atmosphere. And the lack of carbon sequestration, we talk about carbon sinks. And a carbon sink is, again, just an area where carbon is being stored before it is eventually cycled into other natural processes. And when you don't have carbon sinks, if you don't have efficient carbon sequestration, that's how we get increased warming of the atmosphere. So it is really important to think about grazing and how we can more efficiently sequester carbon and just mitigate or manage some of our climate impacts. So there are some basic concerns, again, with water and land usage, but it's really about efficiency and how can we more creatively look at our land use practices to better support our society while also continuing to rethink our environmental footprints. So with that, I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation with Megan. I am truly so enlightened and educated and I enjoy this so much. So let's get right into it. 
Awesome. Megan, do you want to introduce yourself really briefly to the audience before we get started? Sure. So I am the executive director of Diablo Trust. We are a nonprofit ranch and agricultural preservation organization based in Flagstaff. And prior to being the executive director at Diablo Trust, I've worked at a handful of environmental nonprofits focused on agricultural conservation um, for about the past I would say close to 10 years, and I received my master's in environmental and community planning in 2016 from University of New Mexico, which informs all of the work I do. That is great. I love that you have such a broad background. We were talking about that before we got started, and especially when it comes to agricultural work. I would love for you to kind of set the scene for us about some environmental concerns we have when it comes to agriculture just as a whole. Sure. So I think when people think of cattle ranching in particular, the common concern is cow farts. So actually, um, when people talk about cow farts, what they're actually talking about is um, belching from cattle. And it actually contributes to about 15% of causes of climate change in the U.S. So it is super significant. In addition to belching from cattle and the methane that produces also transportation of food, deforestation, which we see on a global scale, and nitrogen-based fertilizers are all things that cattle ranching can contribute to when, when not managed well. As far as from the rancher's perspective, um, we're already seeing the impacts of climate change. So Um, prolonged drought and catastrophic wildfire are impacts from climate change that are really directly impacting agricultural communities who are often really dependent on public land where the most like direct things are happening. So for example, here in Flagstaff, we've seen catastrophic um, wildfire with the Tinder fire, which happened last year. And then prolonged drought killed about half of the grass on the Diablo Trust ranches in 2018, which has a huge impact on the ability for those ranchers to continue ranching. But on the flip side of that, there are ways that cattle ranching can actually be more aligned with natural systems and actually benefit the environment. So a lot of the work that Diablo Trust does is to promote these more improved practices. So one of them is just having local food. So decreasing that need for transportation, which is so much of the emissions associated with ranching in general, and then also managed grazing that can sequester carbon. So so you can actually manage grazing in a way that promotes the health of grasslands and then at the same time the health of soil and watersheds and then all of the wildlife who also depend on those types of ecosystems. So I think, you know, that's just kind of part of it. There's also some really exciting work that is happening. Um, I know a lot of folks have probably heard of Alan Savory, who has done some really interesting research about 
rotational grazing, but even just here in Arizona, there's a professor named Peter Bick at UFA who is studying what's called pulse grazing and how that can actually help draw down carbon from the atmosphere and keep it sequestered in the ground. And my home state, California, is doing a lot of this work. So if your listeners are interested, the Marin Carbon Project is doing research on how cattle ranching and also farming can draw down carbon out of the atmosphere. And then Project Drawdown is another global nonprofit that's working across many countries to find solutions that include managed grazing. Oh, and one other thing that's really exciting. So nothing that I've mentioned so far speaks to mitigating the belching or farting from cattle, but there's some really neat research happening at um, University of California, Davis, where they are studying how feeding kelp to cattle can actually decrease the methane emissions from cattle by over 20%. Wow. So that is like some really recent research that is starting to kind of tackle some of these issues that before we didn't really think there was a solution to. The solution was just stop eating beef. But now we're finding that there are ways that we can we can still enjoy eating animal products, but do it in a way that's aligned with natural systems and really start to reverse climate change. I think that's a really great <laughs> overview of everything that I've previously like become aware of when it comes to beef and ranching at a more basic level. So we mm-hmm. talk about you talked about deforestation and the water and the idea of carbon sequestration and why certain grazing practices are not really in line with the health of our environment. And so I think that's like a really powerful discussion to have because like you said a lot of the time the solution is just stop eating beef. And I appreciate what the Diablo Trust is doing in just promoting those more sustainable practices. So you briefly touched upon like some solutions that we have, like things like the research of kelp being fed to cattle. And I think that's so interesting. I had no idea that that was going on. But I would love to kind of talk to you and maybe like do a little bit of a like a comparison between conventional ranching and what the Diablo Trust is promoting. So I guess before we get into that, could we talk a little bit about the philosophies of the Diablo Trust? So you are a collection of ranchers, correct? Yep. Okay, so you are a collection of ranchers. Is there like some sort of value system that ranchers are prescribing to? Definitely, yeah. So um, the Diablo Trust is comprised of two ranches um, outside of Flagstaff, Arizona, and together the two ranches span about half a million acres. And so the ranchers from both of the ranches started working together about 25 years ago, along with the Arizona Department of Game and Fish and the State Land Department and the U.S. Forest Service to figure out how they could better manage grazing and manage their ranches holistically, not only to meet their objectives of being sustainable cattle operations financially, but also to see how they could benefit wildlife habitat across that half million acres and beyond because those two ranches really provide important winter range for 
migratory species like elk and antelope who have to migrate to lower elevations during winter so that they have access to food and water. So managing those two ranches in a way that benefits wildlife and in turn benefits cattle production because all animals need great grassland and water resources is a way to create this kind of win-win solution for a really broad network of stakeholders who traditionally you might not think have the same goal, but really the shared goal of folks who participate in the Diablo Trust as a land management cooperative is um, just to have healthy landscapes and landscapes that can continue to support wildlife and also food production, local food production forever. That's kind of the goal that everyone has in common. And because that goal is so broad and it is so integral to kind of the wellness of our region, we've been able to pull in folks who, like I said, traditionally haven't worked together, folks from Earth Justice and the Sierra Club and people from the Arizona cattle growers community. So we have these like diehard conservationists and then these old time ranchers. But at the end of the day, what they have in common is like very clear. And what they don't have in common is like super inconsequential. And and like a lot of this work can transcend you know, political or socioeconomic backgrounds. And I think that's really like the most exciting part of any any type of land management collaborative, but, but Diablo Trust has done it really well. That is so interesting that you have these conservationists working alongside ranchers and people who have been in the animal agriculture business for generations, because I feel like that's kind of an unlikely pair a lot of the time. Um, when you think about conservationists, and like you said earlier, sometimes the solution is just like, don't eat beef. But I would love to kind of talk about how that relationship works and how you find some compromise in the value system of these two mm-hmm. very different groups. Yeah, so, you know, Diablo Trust was founded in the early 90s. And in the early 90s, there was a big backlash to cattle grazing on public land. And so that was really kind of the impetus for creating this collaborative model. And the way that it works is we have two meetings every year and they're called crop meetings. So they're cooperative resource operation planning meetings where we bring together all of the stakeholders. So state agencies, federal agencies, ranchers, Not only the ranchers from Diablo Trust, but we invite ranchers from around the region to share information about what the ranchers need in the next year moving forward or the next six months, and then what the agencies have planned. So for ranches who depend on public grazing, which means grazing on public land, so when you go hiking or backpacking and you see a cow pie, that is why that's happening, because we have a rule on public land called multiple use sustained yield. And it means that the public land is for all of the public, not just recreational users, but also for mining, also for timber production, also for cattle grazing. So um, 
While there are some distinctions, like wilderness is treated a little bit differently when you go out on the forest or on Bureau of Land Management land or state land, you can expect to see cattle grazing in those areas. So I kind of forget the question. No, I'm so glad (laughs) you got into that because I had no idea that recreational use really wasn't the only way that you could use public land. I mean, I guess intuitively it makes sense, but the idea of mining and timber production are sometimes things that people get up in arms about. Mm-hmm. But like, I guess at the end of the day, it's everybody's land and you can really use it however right. seems fit. Yeah. So, okay. So we were talking about the biannual crop meetings. Yes. And so part of that is when we're talking about the grazing on public land, how does that interact with um, recreational users? How do hunters and backpackers and folks who like to just go view wildlife, how can we plan for the future so that all of those folks' needs are met? One example is during catastrophic wildfire season, oftentimes the Forest Service will close down large portions of the forest, as we saw last year. And while we so appreciate their efforts to keep our public land safe, sometimes there can be negative impacts, not only for ranchers who depend on that public land and can't access it when it is closed, because when it's closed to the public, it's also closed to grazing permittees, but also they can't go check on water tanks, which provide really important water supply for animals like elk and antelope. So by having crop meetings, we're able to kind of plan, you know, if there is another forest closure because of fire threat or fire risk, how can we make sure that ranchers have access? How can we communicate the benefit of being able to refill those water tanks, not only for cattle, but for wildlife, and just kind of open up the lines of communication so that we really get at the best decision for everybody, because in the past that hasn't always happened. So this is really a new approach. And in addition to our two crop meetings we have every year, which are open to the public, we also have an annual meeting, which is more of like a conference where we usually have some type of theme and we'll have a speaker or a panel tackle that theme and usually it's something that is not only really pertinent to what's happening currently for the ranches but also what we're expecting for agriculture in the region moving forward so that is so interesting i like the idea of like an annual meeting that serves as a conference for everyone again in all of these different interest groups essentially Mm -hmm. so when we talk about agriculture moving forward i think that's a really cool conversation to have as we continue to see more sustainable practices really coming up in different areas. So like agriculture, there must be other similar management agencies for things like water conservation or other sorts of land trusts, maybe not necessarily with ranching, but in some other sort of like on the East Coast, um, they must have something relatively equivalent. And so when we talk about agriculture moving forward and trends we see coming up, mm-hmm. I would love to kind of take a step and think about how you were able to prepare for something in the past. So in the sense, I would love to know, like, over time, how has the Diablo Trust, like, found 
some sort of issue or identified mm-hmm. a problem and then just kind of work towards a solution with all these different management groups. Yeah, so um, no shortage of challenges to kind of rally people around and find solutions to. So something we've seen over time is definitely thinning of juniper on both of the ranches. So when there isn't regular fire on a landscape, especially in our region, what we see is juniper start to grow in places it shouldn't and in really um, dense thickets where usually there would be grassland. And what that means is not only um, is there less grass for cattle, but there's less grass for antelope. So we have worked with the Arizona Department of Fish and Game to do major thinning projects pretty much every year to restore that really important grassland habitat. So last year, we did over 10,000 acres of thinning, and the way that we have seen that really improve antelope habitat is we've seen the antelope fawn mortality increase by 30% since we've started. So there's been some really clear, tangible benefits for wildlife, and in addition, it's made those ranches more productive, so that's also a good benefit. No, absolutely, and I think that's so interesting to think about, especially thinning. Like, thinning Mm -hmm. is not something that, as someone originally from the East Coast, I thought very deeply about because thinning, the idea of, I mean, purposely removing trees from a forest, people might, in theory, think this is not necessarily in our best interest to be just chopping down trees as, like, over time. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's totally necessary to, like, encourage normal fires as opposed to a catastrophic wildfire that we might see in a really, like, heated desert-type environment, Mm -hmm. like Arizona, like the whole West that we saw last summer. And I would love to kind of talk a little bit about the advocacy work that I know you're like you're involved in and just how that kind of community dynamic works. Mm. So we do we don't do too much advocacy, but we do work with our stakeholders and within our community to try to confront issues that we are anticipating coming forward through our collaborative model and just through providing technical assistance to ranches in the region and learning from other communities who are confronting similar issues, either they already have confronted them and they did so successfully, or folks who are learning alongside us. Another thing that we are thinking about right now is something called succession planning. So succession planning is how do we answer the question of who takes over the family ranch when mom and dad are too old to work or when they pass away and the next of kin has moved away because ranching is really, really hard. It's really hard to make money ranching. It's hard work. Usually you're far away from an urban center, which can make it tougher to, you know, have the type of lifestyle that I think our generation is like really accustomed to. 
So we are working like a lot of communities throughout the West to find solutions to how do we keep these really large family ranches intact moving forward. So this is a huge issue and it actually relates to climate change a lot because what we know for sure is that sprawling cities contribute to 25% of climate change in the United States because of emissions from vehicles primarily. So when we talk about protecting ranches, what we're really talking about, and when we talk about succession planning, what we're really talking about is land use planning for the future and smart land use planning and how all these different types of land use are fabric that make our communities really resilient. So what we know is that um, ranchers and farmers in the U.S. are aging. Most ranchers are over 60 years old. No one is taking over those jobs, which means that about 40% of ranch and farmland is set to change hands in the next 15 years. And that is about 370 million acres. So it's a huge amount of land. And the question is, who will buy the land, right? So what we've seen, especially here in Arizona and across the West, is that a lot of these big family ranches that also have water rights tied to them, really valuable water, especially in the desert, are sold to the highest bidder, which is usually a developer. So like in the Chino Valley, we're Mm -hmm. seeing that entire region developed into suburban homes, which have a huge impact on energy consumption and climate change. So we're working to find really dynamic solutions to who can take over these ranches and how do we conserve them forever. So one solution is a conservation easement. It's a a legal document that ensures that a ranch can never be subdivided for housing and turned into shopping centers and suburbs. And it also makes sure that the water used on that ranch has to stay on the landscape where it benefits wildlife and it can't be sold and piped to a city. So that's one approach. Another approach a lot of communities are using is recruiting and training apprentice ranchers. So there's been kind of a reignited back to the land movement among millennials where folks are becoming really interested and excited about the possibility of growing their own food and doing so in a holistic way. So we've been thinking about what that might look like for us and if there's an opportunity to, you know, house apprentices and then teach them how these two ranches in particular holistically manage the land in a way that can sequester carbon that is humane for animals, that does benefit wildlife, and hopefully pass down that institutional knowledge to kind of promote the future. I love that. I think the idea of an apprentice rancher program is so interesting, and it makes sense that people are more interested in ranching from that millennial trend of coming back to the land because while I do think about the trends of growing your own food and things like that, it makes sense to look at it on a larger scale when it comes to animal agriculture. Yeah. So before we close up, I would love to just get some ideas from you. If you are 
just at the grocery store or at a restaurant or something like that, what are like some quick tips to think about when it comes to sustainable beef? Yes. Is there anything you should be looking for? Definitely. When I buy beef, I, I actually like to eat less beef. And then when I eat it, I spend more money and make sure that I buy it from a local ranch. And it's really great if you can to find grass-finished beef, which means that the animal wasn't finished or didn't end its life on a feedlot where it was fed um, a lot of grain and corn, which also makes those emissions from cattle even greater than grass does. So I always ask for local beef. I ask for grass-finished beef. And I think in general, it's just really great to get to know your local food producers, whether they're farmers or ranchers, whether you're a vegan or vegetarian or an omnivore, just get to know where your food comes from, how it's produced and how you can, you know, take a little bit of extra effort to make a change in your life that really benefits your region and kind of the future of the place that we all call home. Wow. Well, thank you so much for all those tips and like all that information. I feel like I learned so much. I honestly, like I didn't know anything about ranching before I moved out here. And I feel like every time I have a conversation about ranching, I just learn more and more. And I'm just so thankful that you had the time today to just sit down and chat and educate us. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I really hope y'all enjoyed that conversation with Megan Hosterman of the Diablo Trust. We've already mentioned a couple times in this episode, it's really easy for environmentalists to say, just give up beef and we will cut emissions by X percent. And at the end of the day, that's not for everyone. That's not always practical to preach. So I want us to just have these more critical conversations of how can we continue living our lives in a way that we are used to but just do it in a smarter way and just do it in a way that's benefiting or at least supporting our environment. You don't have to do everything, just do one thing really, really well. I love to say that, but it's something that I really do believe. And if we're going to continue thinking deeper about these very basic like pillars of environmentalism, let's say, I think it's important to just think a little bit critically about them and think about how it's going to fit into your life and how it can work for you. It doesn't necessarily have to be this like, overnight transformation into this vegan, plastic-free, eco-warrior princess. I am really interested to know what you thought of this conversation, so please, please reach out. You can do so either via email, lauraedias.com is an easy way, or via Instagram. That's the easiest way for most people usually, at Podcast. And if you haven't visited the Instagram page before, I highly encourage that you do so because seriously, it's so cute. I'm really, really into it. It's all pink and I'm so proud. And it's really an easy way to connect with all y'all, so I appreciate that so much. I also really, really love when y'all leave ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. It just helps me understand what you are interested in hearing more about, and it gives me a lot of really great feedback, and it helps grow the community, and I'm just really thankful for all of y'all who have taken the time to rate and review. You can do it right here in the podcast app. Super, super easy, but otherwise, thank you guys so, so much for listening, and I hope to see you next week. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.